This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. As you heard in Maria's News, the government has just released its long-awaited national dementia strategy. Beginning this year, Ottawa will be investing $50 million over the next five years towards this new strategy. It'll focus on prevention, raising awareness, fighting the stigma attached to the disease, and risk reduction, among other initiatives. And at this point, prevention really is the key because there is not much in the way of treatment. And those treatments that do exist can slow the progression of the disease at best. About 420,000 Canadians have been diagnosed with some form of dementia. That number, of course, expected to skyrocket. And on average, these people rely on about 26 hours a week of help from friends and relatives. And that's why caregiving is also a focus. Caregiver burnout is a huge issue. So there has to be more help available. I'm going to give the numbers out. We'd like to hear from you. Perhaps you are a family caregiver. Perhaps you've had the experience. The numbers 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-744-740. Right now, I'd like to welcome in studio Jane Midas with the Advocacy Center for the Elderly and on the line, Pauline Tardif, CEO of the Alzheimer's Society and co-chair of the Ministerial Advisory Board. Ladies, welcome. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you. Good afternoon. Pauline, let's start with you. So first of all, is this what you were hoping for? Uh, sure, the Alzheimer's Society of Canada is really pleased um, with the strategy and where it has landed, if you will. Uh, the Ministerial Advisory Board, of which I am a part, as you mentioned, has been working diligently over the last year and a half to help inform that strategy, to help bring forward um, the voice of those living with dementia, including uh, care, the carers' um, perspective, to ensure that it focused on the few key things that we know could have a very important impact on their quality of life. So, yes, we're thrilled that we have now a stake in the ground and a focus, um, and now we need to deliver on that and um, ensure that uh, the strategy remains fully funded um, uh, to, you know, ensure that it has the uh, effectiveness that we need it to have uh, over the coming years. Jane, your job is defending vulnerable elderly people, many of them with dementia. How do you see this? Well, I, I you know, we're very hopeful with it. Um, obviously, what we see are a lot of issues around caregivers um, and people who are in situations where they don't have access to families or friends or those families and friends are not able to provide that care. And so we're really hoping that this strategy will help those people as well uh, find 
other places, maybe uh, plan ahead. Uh, I think that's a big thing as well. And and to, you know, have the system be there uh, when they need it. Because what we see is people coming out of hospital and, and there's not enough home care, there's not enough services in the community, um, especially if you live in smaller communities. So I think that's, you know, something that we're really uh, hopeful for. Uh, Pauline, there's a big focus on prevention here. I mean, this mm-hmm. is something that we've known for a long time. And, you know, uh, there's an old saying, what's good for your heart is good for your brain. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it, and so it, it's focusing. People have to exercise. People have to eat healthy, keep their blood pressure, their weight under control. But, you know, I think most people know this. How, how are you going to advance that? That's a really important piece, and I'll just correct you on one piece. In fact, it's not that long ago that we have, um, it's fairly recent in the last decade or so where we have had more and more conclusive evidence of the benefit of prevention uh, because now we know uh, through uh, research happening in Canada and globally that um, the disease process in the brain happens way earlier, uh, up to 20 years, 15, 20 years before symptoms are, uh, before you see any symptoms of uh, dementia. So, Um, What we're talking about here is behavior change and being aware, first of all, that as you mentioned, what's good for the heart is good for the brain, but there are also things that are specifically good for the brain like early education, like social, uh, uh, combating social isolation, so being uh, socially active, and other uh, elements like that, um, that uh, sleep um, and so on, that are uh, really focused on the brain itself. It's the most complex organ in our body, if you will. And I think Canadians um, will start to um, understand better uh, that uh, what we do for uh, better overall health, yes, it can improve our overall brain health as well, but there are also some specific things we can do, and that is not well known, and there's still some research to be done to understand that better, and then, of course, to work with Canadians to, um, to encourage behavior change around uh, healthy lifestyle to be able to prevent a disease that cannot be treated today. Like what specific things for the brain? So, for instance, we know that um, uh, early childhood education is very important. And so uh, it's not related to the heart, if you will, but we know that uh, being well-educated and uh, um, uh, educated for a longer period of time in our youth and and our young adulthood is critical to brain health and brain plasticity. Um, We know, for instance, the impact uh, that sleep has on our brain, and uh, there's more and more research happening in that. We know uh, there is a lot of uh, work happening uh, around a microbiome uh, and uh, healthy bacteria, if you will, in our gut, in our mouth, and how that might impact uh, our incidence of, uh, of living with cognitive impairment. So these are very specific things that Canadian researchers are working on right now uh, to help us better understand the impact that they have in the brain. And, and apparently, if you speak more than one language, that's that's quite uh, protective. That'll uh, delay the onset a bit. 
Jamie, well, what I've learned actually, it's not, it's, it's actually not speaking only one language, but moving from one language to the next. So the gymnastics we do uh, between my mother tongue, French and English, and if we speak um, the different languages, but during the day, even in the same sentences and so on, uh, this is what makes the brain jump, uh, uh, jump around, if you will, and uh, always uh, fire up, if you will. And so it's not just the learning, but it's using the languages as well. Interesting. Interesting. You mentioned social isolation and, and Jane Metis in your work, yeah. I would suspect that social isol- isolation plays a big role. You deal with a lot of elder abuse and, and that's how people get into that situation. Right. And, and of course, you know, elder abuse is, uh, you know, a, a big issue these days. Um, and I think that when people don't have someone to look out for them, to assist them, whether it be uh, friends or family, that's when that sort of elder abuse may take place. Uh, the other thing would be getting isolated by caregivers as well. And that's one of the problems is that sometimes we see that there's issues within the families. And if they have no other supports outside the family, uh, that can be an issue because nobody might be there to sort of assist them. How... Do you see how through this strategy there can be help for those problems, Jane? Right. And I think, I think, you know, as I said, more home care, more services in the community, more day programs, uh, people being able to get out into the community. And I think what happens with a lot of people with dementia is they get very isolated socially because there aren't a lot of programs. Uh, you know, they may have a program, for example, they may have a great program, but how do you get there? Uh, there's mm-hmm. a lot of, that's a big problem for a lot of people where they say, well, you can come, but you have to get there. And by the way, if you want to take the local paratransit, you have to have somebody with you. And, you know, the only person you have is a daughter who works, so then you can't go. So yeah. y- you have to think of those, you know, the whole gamut. And we also need a lot more night programs as well, because one of the biggest issues is, uh, you know, the person's caregiving during the day, maybe it's an elderly spouse, and yet that person may get up and wander during the night. How does that person, how does the the elderly spouse sleep? And that's a huge problem. So we need a lot more of those innovative types of programming. Uh, Pauline, how, uh, how do you see programming to help caregivers? Mm -hmm. I think what uh, this strategy has the ability to do, if it's well implemented and well funded, um, it will help um, identify those programs. Jane mentions the innovation, you know, if, if uh, night programs are an innovation that is needed or that is occurring somewhere. Uh, I think, she, uh, Jane, you also mentioned the rural and remote communities. We know this is a, a big challenge in Canada, um, and, and we have many of those communities. And so uh, uh, we need to look at what's happening in communities that is innovative, and if it's not happening, what are those innovations needed to be able to address some of the needs of those specific communities as one example. I'd like to give the numbers out again because I know that a lot of people in our audience are caregivers or have been caregivers and and it can be very very tough. I've talked to people who've called this show actually and and literally c- couldn't find a way to get out of the house to go and take care of themselves, to go to a doctor's appointment, mm-hmm. to go to a dentist's appointment. So, uh, people, I, I would like to hear from you the numbers to call. 416-360-0740, toll-free 1-866-740-4740. And uh, there's also an issue, I've, uh, you know, also talked to some people that 
their spouses basically scream when they leave the room or they won't accept anyone else, you know, kind of like a, a mm-hmm. small child. Jane, you've probably seen that. Well, absolutely. You get, you get, uh, you know, lots of people where they're very comfortable with their caregiver, their, their family member. Um, and part of the problem often is that they may not recognize other people. People come in at a, you know, mm-hmm. sort of a, they're afraid, right? They, they have this one person that they're very comfortable with and they get a lot of caregivers who are coming in and out who they're not comfortable with, who may be rushed, may not provide the care in the way that they want or that they're familiar with. And so they become very afraid because they don't, they're, you know, they're not thinking in the same way as you and I are. And so they're just not recognizing and not understanding what's happening. Mm-hmm. Pauline? Yeah, so um, I, I would um, kind of bucket that in a very important piece that the strategy uh, will seek to address, which is workforce issues. So um, we have heard um, and we have a lot of data in Canada around the lack of training uh, for healthcare professionals specific to dementia, uh, the lack of numbers, uh, the lack of uh, st- certain standards, etc., um, and I think the important thing the strategy can do is help develop some of those uh, criteria, if you will, and, and um, have some aspirational numbers around workforce, uh, not only just for seniors generally, uh, which, of course, uh, encompasses dementia, but for dementia specifically, dementia-specific training, uh, because it's not the same uh, when you uh, have a caregiver entering your room or entering your home and you do not recognize them. Uh, Jane is absolutely right on that, and it can cause a lot of issues, but there are some proven uh, methods to be able to help at least alleviate some of the, that uh, that stress and make it as impactful as possible. So um, workforce is a piece that the Ministerial Advisory Board spent a lot of time discussing, and I'm, I was very pleased to hear that the Minister included uh, that as one of the areas of focus uh, in the strategy. Mm-hmm. And I'd just like to add that, you know, that is definitely... Uh, Workforce is a huge problem. Personal support workers are really needed and they Mm -hmm. need to be trained properly um, because, you know, we could say you could open up today and say we need, you know, we're going to provide all this support. But there's nobody there to to do to do the work. And especially in the rural communities, we get that all the time. You know, home care. We'd like to give you some home care, but we don't have anybody to fill that position, so we can't do it. Well, there's there are a lot of issues around that. There's training, but there's also pay. They're not very well paid, and that's Mm -hmm. that's nobody wants to go into. There's very Mm -hmm. few people who want to go into that kind of work for that reason. So a skilled workforce is very important, and um, I think, um, if I may, what I would say is that the national strategy has an ability um, to help focus the work. Uh, that the federal government will, would be doing with the provinces. So many of the provinces either have a specific dementia strategy or plan, or at least a senior strategy or plan with a dementia component within it. And of course, because healthcare is delivered, uh, through the provinces, it's important that they work together um, and I know that the there is a PT table, a provincial territorial table, helping to inform the minister uh, through uh, the creation and the delivery of the strategy. Because of course, that this will have to be something done uh, because of our healthcare system and the way it's um, it's set up in Canada and funded. Uh, they'll have to be done in partnership, definitely, to be most effective. Let's take a call from Ivan in Milton. Hello, Ivan. Hi, Libby. Go ahead. You're on the air. Hi. Uh, 
I listen to your show a lot. It's Great. my first time ever Thank calling you. in. I'm not very uh, good with words. However, um, what I was saying to the person who answered the phone was, um, I've, over the last three years, um, been to different places and listened to different experts on what we should be doing. By the way, my wife has Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. How long has I'm she wait- had it for? I'm waiting for a care home. Mm-hmm. Um, right now, I've, we've cared for it, myself and my daughter over the last several years, and probably the worst ones of the last three. The worst being the, this one year where she's now in um, in hospital, waiting for a care home. That's terrible, yeah. I sent letters to anybody I could send them to. Some I got replies, some I didn't. Um, and I'm not knocking the health system, Libby. I keep telling everybody this. I think we have a fabulous health system. I'm knocking the senior system, and these are seniors who've paid the way all these years, whether it be OIT, whether it be taxes, whether it be what. And here we are, and I see them every day, Libby. There's maybe 35 of them, and I go at 1 o'clock every day, and I I stay till 6. My daughter goes at 9 in the morning. She stays till 1. And it's hard. It's very hard. Uh, and not only that, Libby, we're paying for it. You're not talk- have we paid for it for the last 47 years since coming to Milton. We're now paying again every month on a co-pay basis. Mm-hmm. However, she's cared for, she's clean, she's tidy. But the, the main thing is she's cared for and clean and tidy because of the way that the structure is, the nurses and, and one thing and another. But there's just not enough people in the system taking care of these seniors with strokes and dementia. And they keep, I keep hearing talk, people talk and talk and talk. If those people would get their hands dirty and go and help, it'd be fabulous. We'd have a good system. L- let me so, ask, let me ask you one thing. Ivan, let me ask you, uh, after all this time, and you, you, what you're describing to me are pretty stringent hours for you and your daughter. How are, you and, how are you and your daughter holding up? It's, it's, there's, there is, I call it, can somebody give me a fed-up pill? There's no such thing as a fed-up pill, unfortunately. But the thing is, it's your loved one. And Libby, I know you were sick at one time. However, you've got to put the time and effort in as a family. Um, there's only myself and my daughter. Uh, now I do have a lot of friends who help, friends who come. Uh, my son helps as much as he can, but he's a lad and he can't help with his mom as much. Um, it, it, it's tough. It really is tough. And the other thing is we're very fortunate. I'm nearly 80 years old and I'm, I'm healthy. Now, if, and I see this over at where my wife is, there's, People over there, and there's either, they're elderly people, either dementia, stroke, or just incapable of doing absolutely anything, and they have nobody, livid, nobody, they, and nobody there to feed them when it's feeding time, because at a hospital, what happens? The food comes 5 o'clock, or forever be lunchtime, 12.30. Now, if it comes, and, and there's only a couple of people who can help, um, and the food sits in front of them, and they don't know what to do. It, sometimes I just get so... I, and my daughter says, Dad, Dad, don't take it so serious. But it is serious. We need... The, 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 the big kahunas have got to get more people helping. Hands-on. Not talking about it. 
not sharing what we're going to do. It's now. We're in the now. I can't remember how many people are waiting for care homes right now, long-term care homes. Um, but it's in, it's in the hundreds or in the thousands. Oh, it's in the and thousands. They're talking about the future. The future. We're, we're in the now, Libby. It has to happen now. Ivan, I really want to thank you for sharing your story with us. And I want to let we have the experts here. Jane, would you like to respond to Ivan? Certainly. So the issue of placement into long-term care is, is the number one issue that I deal with. Um, in my office, uh, people either in the community who are very frustrated not getting into care or people who are in the hospital, um, you know, what you're, what you're talking about, you're bang on. Uh, we have way too many people in the hospital waiting. Um, and, but the problem is, is that there's nowhere for them to go. And that's it. And that's my right. There's nowhere to go. So why all the talk? Yeah. Why so, all the time? You know, some Dog places do nothing. Yeah, so some places what they've done is they've opened up, reopened up some of the old decommissioned hospitals and are reusing them. I'm not going to them. disagree with you. You know, okay. So they've opened up 600 beds, but they didn't employ one more person to look after them people. Right, and that's the big problem. And your your wife is very lucky mm-hmm. in that she has you there, and I think this is the one of the big. Um, drawbacks and we hear from the hospitals you know people who stay in the hospitals they they don't you know they lose their ability to walk and they they become incontinent and that's because they're not getting the proper care they're like you said if you're not there to feed your wife who's going to feed her and i think that's absolutely you know that that should never happen um and you're being made to pay for it why don't the experts then come and see what's happening why don't they come and see what's happening i I think think they know i just don't know why they're not uh, knowing doesn't help one bit i agree i agree so many things we know and so many people want to talk about this ivan unbelievable but there's nobody hands-on why can't they go out and hire hire people and just say listen you're going here you're going there and that's all it needs people well, we just we and just heard why they don't hire them. Ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Well, it's there, a money issue. there, there are also not enough people to hire. Ivan, again, I really appreciate your sharing your story with us. Thanks so much for your call. Olivia, thank, thank you. It's the first time I've ever called in. Okay, but, you know, it's right close to my heart. This one. Okay, thank you for that. No, thank you, uh, okay. Pauline. Do you have anything to say to Ivan? Sure what I would add uh, to what's already been said is the very important challenge that Ivan uh, raises around seniors and particularly dementia and the stigma associated with that. So, um, uh, you know, he's mentioned it in in a roundabout way in terms of the hospitals and long-term care and so on. Um, and, uh, you know, he, I heard him say that he, you know, we need help. We, we have to stop talking about it. I'm hoping that the strategy is one piece, is one stake in the ground. But I've often been heard saying that uh, people talk about the senior tsunami and the, you know, the dementia tsunami coming. Um, it, we knew this a generation ago. Uh, we're now in the middle of it. And what I keep, um, what I, what I say around the tsunami uh, comparison is fine if you want to use it. But but please be aware that the wave is now on the beach. It's not a mile out into the ocean. So we need urgent action um, and, um, and investments. And I, I join Ivan there. Um, I, through my own experience with my mother, lived through 
similar experiences that Ivan and his family are living through. And I, uh, I like Ivan's family, were very fortunate to have that great support system around my mother. Um, but we know this is not the case, uh, a common case, if you will. Um, and where they are uh, able to support the family or the family member, like Ivan and his daughter in particular, uh, the reality is they need support as well. They need a break as well. And Jane mentioned that in terms of, uh, you know, overnight respite and things like that, but um, the Alzheimer's Study of Canada is certainly uh, there to try to um, mitigate some of those challenges in delivering our programs and services, but we're only one player in the dementia community, and having everybody come together in this time of great need and sense of urgency, uh, I, I'll just echo with uh, what Ivan has said, that uh, I think everybody recognizes that more help is needed, and we need to move to action. Okay, let's take a, a quick call from Linda in London. Hi, Linda. Hi. Hi, Libby. Yes. I'm I'm a first-time caller here, mm-hmm. and uh, I've uh, recently moved to London and noticed on my street, um, just within a few houses, there's three ladies that are all um, newly retired and looking after either um, a sister with Alzheimer's or a mother with Alzheimer's uh, and also looking after uh, their children's children, their grandchildren. And uh, they have absolutely no time to themselves at all uh, to care for themselves. And I think, you know, looking at the situation over the years, this has been going on, this, you know, we should be doing this or that for quite a, quite a long time now, decades. And I think our systems have just gotten too big and um, uh, we've got too many um, people at the top that don't really understand the issues um, at the grassroots. I think we need to start going back to grassroots. We need to provide funding for people to stay in their homes and um, do home care. Um, I know with, with home care uh, studies in the past, I don't know if that's currently the case, but in the past, uh, home care is considerably cheaper than institutional care. Yeah. And um, I, I really think that there's a lot of people that would, would definitely go for home care if they know that it's supported. And, um, you know, that may be by paying the caregiver or that might be by um, just providing a, a live-in caregiver. Um, an option that I know some of my friends have used is to bring in someone from the Philippines that's a nurse uh, and have them be a live-in caregiver. You have to be uh, able to parent, uh, and that afford that very well. Uh, it's been considerably less expensive than putting them in a long-term care facility. And the person with Alzheimer's has the the um, um, satisfaction of knowing that they're surrounded by their family, by things they know, sights, sounds. Um, smells that they know, all of which I, I have to say would probably contribute to a better outcome for the family and for the person with Alzheimer's. Thank you, Linda, very much for your call. Appreciate it. Um, Jane Medus, there was a different subject that we were actually going to talk about for the half hour before uh, this happened, and that is you were with the Advocacy Centre for the Elderly. Mm-hmm. 
tell us a bit about your work and how funding cuts that we just learned about are going to affect your work, which is all related sure. to this. So, yeah. So uh, I, I work at the Advocacy Center for the Elderly. We provide legal services mostly to low-income seniors uh, in, in the province of Ontario. Um, we have six lawyers in our office, uh, and we have been hit by, you know, the, the government cuts. Uh, we're not as bad off as some of the clinics, but we don't know what the future brings because we're still looking at uh, legal aid being reviewed by the government. Uh, we don't know how that's going to play out. Um, and it seems to be that the, the, the way that the government's looking at it, it's a very secretive. They're not going to be doing a public report. Uh, they're not following some of the AG recommendations from before. And so we're very concerned about, you know, our ability to provide services. We don't know what the future brings. Um, we're lucky we're not going to have to fire anyone, uh, unlike some, some clinics around. Uh, so some of the local clinics, some of the other tenants, the, the, um, tenancy and, and, uh, income groups are having, you know, up to 30% of their, uh, budgets cut. And those, those also can affect seniors as well because we tap into all of those services, right? So, you know, as a clinic, we'll call them for advice. We may have to refer people to the community clinic if it's something we don't do. So I think it's really important that people really call, you know, start talking to their MPPs and say, we need these services. Um, because it could be in another year, they may say, you know what, we don't want clinics anymore. Um, or we're not going to provide those services. Okay. Uh, we're uh, starting to run out of time on this. Pauline, what would you like to leave us with? And is there enough money behind this strategy? Yeah, I think I'd like to leave you on a hopeful note that this government is paying attention to dementia and to um, have a law uh, which came into effect in 2017 is one thing, but to actually have a strategy is another. Uh, so there are very specific objectives here. Um, the next step is to implement it and have benchmarks and hold government to account and use the money that they have uh, allocated to actually make a real difference in people's lives. But for me, this is an aspirational piece. As it's a very definite uh, step forward, and um, the Alzheimer's Society of Canada is really pleased with that outcome. But at the same time, we want to make sure that going into an election, that we don't keep uh, that we keep our attention on this, and that. Uh, people living with dementia in Canada uh, get the attention that uh, they deserve uh, and the investments needed to have a better quality of life overall, I would say. Okay, well, this is uh, obviously a hugely important topic that we will be revisiting. In the meantime, thank you so much, Pauline Tardif, CEO of the Alzheimer's Society and co-chair of the Ministerial Advisory Board, and Jane Medes, barrister and solicitor for the Advocacy Centre for the Elderly. Thank you both so much. Thank you. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.